So good morning. Um, welcome to worship. Um, thank you. Uh, it's um, God's good, um, and it's really good to be meeting together. Um, you know, He saved us into a body, and and this is actually how we're meant to function as as a, as a body, as His body, and uh, it's so good to be back together. Um, yeah. Uh, today, so today we're looking at um, Jesus in the Old Testament, and specifically the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is actually a really good book um, to read. It's probably one of my favourite books um, in the Old Testament um, because of the way that it, it often clearly points to Jesus. Um, let's just pray, Heavenly Father. Um, I pray, Lord, that as we look at Your Word, um, that Your Spirit uh, would bring light. To your word and would uh, bring your Holy Spirit uh, to work in us and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I, I love the thought and the fact that all of the Old Testament actually points to Jesus. It actually points to the cross. It actually points to what he's done. And, and as I've discovered that, I've read the Old Testament in a new light. Um, every time I read bits of it, I'm, I'm just sussing out, what's that got to do with the cross and how does that um, fit in? And, um, and, we, because, and that's true because we know that God planned to save us through Jesus before creation, before he started to make the world. That was his plan. It was never a plan B. And so I guess we shouldn't be amazed to find prophecies about him 700 years earlier in the book of Isaiah. Um, throughout the Bible, um, there's at least um, 50 titles and names for Jesus. Um, and just to name a few, uh, Lamb of God, the Word of God, our Saviour, our Hope, our deliverer, the way, the truth, and the life. And today, as we read the book of Isaiah, um, we get an incredibly complete account of the gospel. Um, and um, today, I want to just pick up on three things um, that, that we can see from the book of Isaiah. The first thing is that Jesus is a wise and a righteous king. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 tell us that. Uh, secondly, uh, he is a sin bearer and the suffering servant. And Isaiah 52 and 53, um, what Danny read, um, tell us that. And the third thing is that he's a conqueror and victorious. So kind of being a king and being a conqueror and victorious sound kind of like the same thing, but I just want to separate those little things to make the two distinct attributes of Jesus, that not only is he a king, he's actually a conquering king. Um, so today I want to make the argument that Jesus cannot be just two of those things. He actually has to be all three. If he's only two, he actually isn't any of them. So firstly... Um, Jesus as King. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, um, Sal, if you can put that up, uh, says, for, us, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Not just the government of Australia, 
uh, or even America, but the government of the whole universe will be on the shoulders of Jesus. Um, you may or may not like ScoMo. Uh, you may or may not like Donald Trump. Both of those guys have been called lots of things, both good and bad. And I have to say, it's just fantastic in Australia at the moment to have a Christian Prime Minister. I'm just loving it. I'm really loving it. Someone who openly prays for our nation, openly, is, is, is wonderful. And so these guys have been called a lot of things, and ScoMo's been called a lot of things because of his faith, actually. But I want you to listen to what Jesus will be called and what Jesus is called. He will be called, um, from the reading, Wonderful Counselor. Uh, This means that he makes wise plans beyond the capabilities of mere humans. He's a wise counsellor. He's not a counsellor as in a counselling session, but but someone who rules in that sense of counsel. Mighty God. Uh, in the Gospels, Jesus was, um, he called himself I Am, which is the only title for God himself, actually. Um, everlasting Father. Uh, Jesus rules like a protective father figure who cares for his people rather than a politician who only cares about the next election. Uh, Prince of Peace. Not just a peacemaker, but that the rule of Jesus will bring everlasting peace. And of his, the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. The government of Jesus will continually get bigger and bigger and never end. It's, he's like no other king or leader. Every other king and leader in the history of the world has had or will have their kingdom brought to an end but not Jesus. It says he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. This means he's the successor to the throne or the lineage of King David in the Old Testament. Uh, Establishing and upholding his rule with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord God Almighty will accomplish this. Not too many earthly rulers have upheld their leadership with justice and righteousness. There's always, in some point, and in some part, there's corruption, there's greed, there's, even in the, the leaders that I can think that I love, there was always greed, there was always corruption mixed in there somewhere, but not with Jesus. Justice means that we won't ever have to say, it's not fair. We won't ever have to say, Um, Black Lives Matter or White Lives Matter. We won't have to say that because there will be justice. People will care for all lives. To uphold with righteousness means that rightness will always be carried out. And what a a wonderful kingdom that will be to live in. The second um, point is that Jesus, from the book of Isaiah, that Jesus is the suffering servant. Now, um, the Jews knew that God one day would send a Messiah, a king, a ruler to save them from their troubles. But I kind of only just got a glimpse yesterday that I actually don't 
think they realised that that same ruler would be the suffering servant that was also read about. I actually think that they thought maybe they were two different people. And this is the one aspect of Jesus that even the disciples couldn't get their head around. It's something that the world can never understand. How can you have a king, a ruler, who's a suffering servant? In world thinking, that doesn't make sense. And in Isaiah 42.1, it says, Here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. God just delights in Jesus. I put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Justice is actually a very big theme in Isaiah. But then in Isaiah 53, uh, 3-6, what Danny wrote, it says, He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we were stricken, we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We have a remarkable thing that the king has been loaded up with the sin and the wrongdoing of all of his subjects, of all of his people. And the people, instead of getting punishment for their sin, get the reward of the righteous life that Jesus lived. On what universe does, does, a right, does, a, does a king take punishment for his people? We have to sit and think about this for a minute. The gospel is upside down from what the world thinks. This act is what we call substitution, is the heart of the gospel. In verse 6, uh, it says, We like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And... Um, If you're familiar with the great theologian of our time, Colin Buchanan, he would say, ba, ba, do, ba, ba, at that point. You know the song? No one knows the song. I've got to play gig. Thanks, Thanks, Liz. You can't not do it. There you go. Yeah, cool. Um, I actually love Colin Buchanan because of the, the scripture and the theology that he puts in his songs. It's actually so simple for kids, but it's actually really, really deep. Uh, sorry, get a little sidetrack. Um, and each turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But by his wounds, we are healed. And the heart of sin is that we don't want God's rule in our lives. Um, Satan successfully tempted Adam and Eve in the garden with the thought that they could be like God himself. That each could make their own way, be their own boss, be what the world tells us to do in control of our lives. And um, there's a parallel in, in Isaiah in, in chapter 44, starting at verse 9, um, uh, that spelled out, spells, kind of spells that out. And it says, All who make idols are nothing, and the things that they treasure are worthless. And then down in verse 14, uh, it, talks about, it talks about a man. He, he's actually a, a tradesman. He could be a blacksmith. He could be a, uh, a carpenter. Uh, he cuts down cedars 
uh, or perhaps took a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a, a pine and the rain made it grow. Eventually it becomes fuel for him and he makes fire to keep himself warm and with it also roasts some meat and he's satisfied. And with the rest of the wood he makes an idol and he falls down to it and he worships it and he prays to it and he says, deliver me for you are my God. They know nothing, they understand nothing, their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see and their minds closed so that they cannot understand. Um, Many things, I think, for us, for me, take the place of this idol, this this piece of wood. Uh, For me, it can be my farm, uh, like my job. Uh, The very thing that I take for my living, that I nurture and that I grow. It can be an idol, it can become an idol when I look to it for my help and not the Lord. The book of Isaiah spends many chapters warning about the futility of worshipping idols and instead it urges us to look to our King Jesus, the suffering servant who takes our place, substituting us for himself on that cross. I just I marvelled. I, I, I was washing out the cattle crates yesterday and um, it took a bit longer than normal. It was a bit deeper, which was good. And I had the listening on the Bible app. I got through a fair bit of Isaiah, actually. I, I, it, it just was... And, and, you know, you look at it and you break down little verses, but when you listen to it as a big bulk, it, it gives you a, a really kind of picturesque type of theme. And the futility of worshipping idols, the futility, and, and in that... Worshipping idols, just the things of this world, the things that we like, the things that are actually good, but we make them best. We put them over the top of God. Um, It just goes on and on and on about how these things are futile. So for me, um, yeah, it's hard to understand and reconcile that Jesus is both king and suffering servant. It doesn't fit my human expectation. Because no human king can both lead and suffer at the same time. But I think that these two are tied together by the third aspect this morning, which is that he's a conqueror and he's victorious. Now, um, this, this, this uh, picture of a king, put that in your mind. We've got to go back a little while, think of an old movie the kings, their subjects, their kingdoms, their palaces, their fortresses, the wider kingdom. A kingdom next door who wants to take over. Another king on them on the other side who wants to attack, who wants to take over their subjects, who wants to make them their slaves. So the king decides he's going to do something about it and he attacks those kingdoms that are attacking him. He takes captive those kings and their subjects and their armies. He defeats them. He punishes them. He ties them up and he leads them down the street like a parade in irons. And he does that so that his people can see There is no foe to be feared from outside. Let's look at 
Isaiah chapter 63, because this good king that I've just described is Jesus. Who is coming from Edom, from Bosra, with his garments stained crimson? Who is this, robed in splendour, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? It is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. That's Jesus. Why are your garments red like those of one treading the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone from the nations. Uh, from the nations, no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments and I stained all my clothing. Now, the trampling of grapes is an image of judgment. It's the image of the wrath of God in the Bible. Uh, it goes on, For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and the year of my redemption has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled that no one gave support, so my own arm worked salvation for me, and my own wrath sustained me. I am trampled by the nations, oh, sorry, I trampled the nations in my anger, and in my wrath I made them drunk and poured their blood on the ground. What an incredible image of Jesus our King punishing to death his enemies. That is, Satan and all that follow him. But Jesus is mighty to save. We have this incredible two facets of Jesus. That is a horrific thing to look at. That is horrific. And yet, as rogues uh, and PJ said, that we can stand before God. We can stand in, in perfect righteousness. Is, is, is an amazing... Is that a diapole? Is that the right word? Christians know that there's two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. The kingdom of light belongs to Jesus and the kingdom of darkness belongs to the devil. The devil wants us to sin. Proved that in the garden right from the beginning. That was his temptation to Adam and Eve. He wants us to sin. He wants us to dishonour God. He wants us to disobey God. He even wants us to change our ideas about who God is. And that way we can even justify sin. And, and unknowingly we actually build our idols that way. We worship something that's not God because we've changed our idea of God in our heart contrary to scripture. He wants to attack us and he wants to steal us away from the kingdom of God. But when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of the whole world. The devil suffered a major defeat because he lost his power to accuse. Now, a little interjection in there. During the week, I'm listening to a podcast from Tim Keller. He's talking about the connection between sin and the devil. The verse that says, don't let your anger, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do not let the devil get a foothold. Same sentence. Was that right together? There's a, a, a major connection about our sinfulness and giving the devil a foothold. Can you, can you understand why 
the devil hates Jesus so much because he extinguished sin. Is that amazing? And so for Christians, as Romans 8 says, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who trust in Christ Jesus. And so the extinguishing of our sin disarms the devil. He has no power. He then is, as the scripture says, um, just a liar and the father of lies. All he's got is a lie to accuse you with. He's the accuser, but all the accusations are actually false. And as we come to trust in Jesus, that truth, the truth that sets us free, becomes alive and real in us. And um, 1 John 3, 8 tells us that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And as I read through all the scriptures, I see what Jesus came to do was to die on a cross for our sins. Okay, you see, you see the connection. It's a very, very strong connection. And Revelation tells us that Satan's final defeat is eternal punishment in the lake of fire. At the moment, he's kind of a toothless tiger roaming around trying to deceive the nations. But his end is coming. So when Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, stood in the temple and he read from the scroll from the book of Isaiah, which was chapter 61, verses 1 to 4, um, it was like Jesus was about to go into battle and he's already announcing the spoils of victory. He's already announcing the things that he's going to secure for his people. He says... The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and to release from darkness the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. There's got to be ten sermons just in that, so I'm just going to pick out a couple of things. It's so deep. These are the things that are available to us because of Christ's victory over sin and death. Jesus has conquered and taken prisoner all that Satan holds dear. Oppression, fear, despair, anxiety and death. And if you're gripped by any of these things, the gospel is good news for you because as we trust in him, these things are taken care of. Jesus mends our broken heart. He sets us free from the bondage and idolatry that idolatry puts us under. And he says that we become like an oak of righteousness, like a big old oak tree, a big beautiful tree that stands there, beautiful, because it's not our beauty, it's the Lord's beauty that's, that's been put through us because of that exchange, our sin for his righteousness. We display his splendour not by what we do, 
but by what he has done for us. And I don't think you do, but if you think that a Christian is someone, if you have to be so good in area, every area of your life, you're going to be like that juggler who's just juggling whole heaps of balls and, and another ball comes to him and he's like, he can't drop any and he's just got to keep everything like looking so prim and proper and, and we all know he's going to drop one. He can't maintain his, his perfection. But being in Christ means that although we know we've made a terrible mess of things. We're not going to try and make ourselves look good before God. We're going to accept the righteousness that he gives us in exchange for our rubbish. So Jesus, our King, is victorious because he's our sin bearer. That's like the sword. That's like the strength of his kingship is being our sin bearer. As I said at the beginning, you can't have one or two of these things. It has to be all three. They all go together. So what's the application for us today? Um, My argument is that I cannot be a Christian unless I accept all three aspects of Christ. Jesus must be my king. We can't say we believe in Jesus Christ unless we let him rule over our lives. Anyone who doesn't have Jesus as their king is going to be like the man in Isaiah 44 who carved out the wood and he burnt half of it and he made an idol and he cooked some stuff and he's looking everywhere else except to God. But if Jesus is your king, he's the truth and the truth will set you free. Last week, I got a really good kick in the cattle yards. It was a cracker. The truth of the matter was, as I was in a pen and these little, I ended up penning them up, and this one wouldn't turn around and look the right way, and this other guy was like, you know how they want to run past you? And, and he kind of had nowhere to go, but he was still a fair way off. But he started to come, and as he started to come, he jumped. And, and everyone spending the cattle yards know what's going to happen when a beast jumps as he walked past you. He's going to, oh, cow kick you. He's going to get you. And he's fair, got me fair there. And I'm like, whoa, hanging onto the rail. Went down, not down, down, but I'm hanging on the rail. I'm like, I hope no one saw that. But anyway, I'll keep, I'll keep, oh, I'll keep going. <laughs> I'm and carrying on. The truth of that situation was, if I stood there, I was going to get a kick. That was what was going to happen. I didn't understand the full truth of the situation. The full truth of our situation is not to put our trust in the things of this world, in the idols. Otherwise, we face Jesus and we have to defend ourselves before him. But if we trust in his righteousness, he's our defender. He speaks for us before the Father. So, um, personally, Jesus must be my sin bearer. If he isn't, he can't be my king. Often in pride, we hang on to self-righteousness. Often we think, it just sneaks in. That's our sneaky thing. We think that our, our good deeds are the things surely God must think us a bit better because I come to church today. Actually, I preached. Did you, did you know? Surely. Wow, isn't pride a sneaky thing? 
But on the cross, Jesus makes a trade. My sinfulness for his righteousness. He lived the righteous life that I should have lived and he suffered the punishment that I should have suffered. And if we allow Jesus to be our king, our mighty God, our wonderful counsellor and our sin bearer, the righteous king who would die for us, he will be a conqueror and victorious in our lives. Amen. So this morning, um, we're going to lead into communion. Um, we've gathered as the body of our Lord. And um, I just want to read um, from John 13, verse 1. Um, Sal, if you, you can, it's okay. Um, it's, it's John's account of the meal just before the Passover. Um, and I actually think that it actually is the same meal because it's the meal where... Um, Jesus predicts Judas' betrayal. doesn't actually mention about the breaking of the bread and wine, but it's the same time. And um, so, reading from 13 verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time for him to leave this world, it was time to go and leave the, and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was served... And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus says, You do not realise now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Oh, then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath only needs to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. So as we come to the table this morning, uh, we remember that we, like the disciples, have already had a bath. We've already been declared righteous, like those big, that big oak tree. But Jesus continues to serve us, washing our feet every day. If you love the Lord a little, only a little, or if you love him a lot and you want to know him more, you're welcome at this table. And remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed for our cleansing, for the washing away of our sins. So please, in your own time, uh, come up, eat and drink. And as you do, trust him for he's washed your sins away in order to present you faultless before God the Father.